Welcome back to another episode of the Green Campus Podcast. My name is Neve, and today I'm joined by Oliver. Good morning. And Melanie. Hello. Uh, thanks a million for coming on the podcast, Melanie. It's great to have you. It's really good to have you. Uh, it's really good to be here. It's really good to have me here. <laughs> uh, just to kick off, do you want to introduce yourself and just tell us about your background and your work? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting actually being on the other side of a podcast. So hence my initial intro. I'm used to being on the other side interviewing people. So I'm like, ooh, in the hot seat today. Um, and so, yeah, that's where kind of a lot of my work that I do today started actually in UCC in the studio doing a an environmental podcast and having people on interviewing them. And it very much started as a way to kind of get to know what was going on with environmental activism around Cork um, because I had just moved home from Limerick and was trying to figure out like how to break into the community or maybe maybe um, create a job or I uh, wasn't really sure where it was going, but that was the beginning. Um, so that was back in 2018. Um, and through that then, I kind of realised that a really big challenge when it comes to climate activism is like the emotional piece. And my background had been, I studied zoology in UCC as well. So I was very much grounded in like the academic side, um, but then struggled with my own anxiety and grief and just feelings of fear uh, around the climate crisis and the like huge mass of information about the climate catastrophe that we're experiencing. And it just felt very small and very overwhelmed. And so I started working then myself, like in my own healing with um, sound, psychotherapy, um, art, yeah, lots of uh, instruments and ways of moving these emotions through my body. And through that, I kind of came to realize I came across the term eco grief and I was like, oh, that's what I've been experiencing. Like, that's what's been kind of squashing me down. Um, and then became very curious about, like, how can we kind of work with that within us and unpick it? So then the kind of the eco grief workshop evolved out of that. And then it's kind of kept going on this really random snowball. And now I'm training as like an interfaith minister. So I'm learning like spiritual counseling skills about different faith paths, which, which as we know, creates so much kind of conflict in the world. Um, and also the different life ceremonies. So rather than workshops, I would say I kind of hold ceremony space now. It's kind of evolved into that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit about how I got here and all of that then has been kind of brought through the green step um, and working and collaborating with different people as we've gone. We've looked at things like um, land use in Ireland um, and how the farming community and the environmentalist community relate and obviously it's a very charged area. So we used like storytelling and ceremonial inquiry into that and have been kind of dipping into podcasts and things as well. So love chatting and talking and story building around all of this like how can we write a new story for the future so that's kind of a bit of my journey to to up until now yeah fantastic and you mentioned that you did zoology for your your undergrad had you always like a keen interest in sustainability and kind of climate change or mm. where did that come from yeah um yeah since I was like three I was like I want to work with animals I first the only kind of animal job that I knew was like being a vet so I was like oh I'm gonna be a vet and then when I was 16 I worked in the veterinary clinic for a while and I was like oh it's you know it's not really what I want to do like a lot of the animals coming in are kind of scared it's a very clinical setting and um, you're dealing with a lot of sickness and um <clears throat> Uh, so yeah I kind of decided okay that's not really what I want to do what are my other options and then looking at career paths I went to my career advisor in school and was kind of thinking about doing like animal management or something more practical like I would have spent a lot of time in like horse riding yards and doing volunteering for animal rescues and things like that and um, 
but I got good marks in school. So they go, oh no, you can't go to a, you have to go to university. Like you're too smart for that. I was like, right, okay. Uh, so I did zoology, but it was very academic. Um, and that was really interesting to have that grounding, but I wanted something again, more practical, hands-on and the kind of, um, yeah, there's lots of like dissections and things like that, which again is very interesting from um, like a bird's eye view kind of, but I feel too much for that to like be able to kind of disengage from that. I was like, okay, this isn't really the path for me either. So then I kind of ended up in like environmental education, which is so not a coincidence because my mom is a green schools coordinator and she does workshops with kids and school kids. And so that was always in the house as we grew up, like there'd be workshops on or uh, scouting events. Now I wasn't a scout, but the rest of my family all are. Like I said, I was a horsey girl. But so we were always kind of just, you know, nature, wildlife, figuring out the compost bin outside like it was just very much part of my upbringing and definitely my mom's influence has had a very big imprint on my own path as well yeah that's brilliant could you explain to us what eco grief and climate anxiety is mm, yeah I'm gonna take a breath for that one because it's definitely a different tone um mm. so eco grief is the feeling of grief or loss mourning that we get in response to either anticipated or experienced ecological grief. So it doesn't actually even matter if it's actually happening and you're seeing the physical effects in your environment, which of course we all are now today. And um, but even just the feeling of like dread of, oh my God, what's gonna happen in the future? Um, can create this really deep sense of loss. Um, and I initially came across that it was relating to communities in Alaska where like the it, Mary Robinson writes about it very well in her book Climate Justice where the permafrost is like the foundation of their their cities and their towns and their I mean they're I suppose more towns rather than big cities but that's the foundations of their homes and as that started to melt you started getting subsidence and roads crumbling and falling apart and you know very significant substantial loss and then on the other side of course you've got communities in the global south especially that are really experiencing lots of desertification so it was very much learning about that more through the eyes of indigenous people and reading from their perspective um, and those people that have been marginalized and you know are experiencing the worst effects of of climate change because of all the global inequalities that are going on. Um, but that was kind of, it was around the same year, I think maybe it was 2018, where we had really bad droughts as well. And it was really impacting on the farmers. And even just um, during the week, I was out with a friend with the horses and just talking about how planting seeds now to reseed the grass field is really unpredictable because she needs a certain amount of temperature it needs to be like seven degrees she was just speaking how as someone who works with the land every single day um it's really shifted so much and there's so much more unpredictability so I guess that was the kind of way I was relating to it in a environmental physical sense in Ireland um but I think for a lot of us in Ireland like this climate anxiety and eco grief like climate anxiety is of course feeling of anxiety which is rooted in the emotion of fear that again comes with this like tsunami of information about what's happening um, and often feeling very much like there's either nothing we can do or people around us aren't taking action and feeling like we're in this echo chamber, especially for children, like the dissonance that happens for children when they're speaking about this climate and the adults around them are kind of almost gaslighting them, saying, no, it's mm. fine, we, you know, let's yeah. continue on as normal. Um, so I guess that's the kind of experience and f for me and I think for a lot of us it's more that human side of being in a culture where 
it, it's acting as if it's just like business as usual. And of course, I think we're seeing a lot of challenges to that now, like business as usual isn't happening, especially for the last two, three years. We're really seeing a big shift. So in a, in a way, maybe there's even a bit of a breakthrough there of a kind of a sense of relief for people that finally other people are also thinking and talking about this maybe not always just in the frame of climate justice but in the wider scape of the world and the systems we live in um yeah which is I think bringing up a lot of emotions to the surface for everyone so it brings me back to that piece of like emotional literacy as a really core tool for how we relate to each other and ourselves in the current state very good answer it's basically uh, how do you identify those emotions as well and how do you respond to them you touched on the earlier but can you tell us about your spiritual practices and how that links with your climate work mm, yeah again I'll, I'll just take a breath and um feel into my my roots like my feet that's a really big part of my practice um as i was moving through my own experiences of anxiety and um you know trying medicine and having really big struggles like working in jobs that really didn't work for me and just not being able and almost feeling like I was just like this incompetent Egypt like <laughs> what am I doing in this work and really struggling to keep up my anxiety was just mounting and mounting and mounting and as I mentioned a while ago, sound was a really big healing for me. So finding my own voice, like being able to just make the noises in my body, like even just being able to cry loudly or properly or scream or release in ways that are, again, often not socially acceptable and are kind of pushed away. So reclaiming that sense of sound and I would use, I've used drumming a lot as well to really anchor me back into the earth and Oliver is here nodding and agreeing like it's such a primal sound. Anybody who is stressed out about Anthony, I'd give them 10 minutes behind the drum kit, the stress just dissipates away. Yeah. As you were talking about your feet there, is that grounding or is it a type of grounding? One, mm. of, my, one of my friends was very stressed out and he started doing 10 minutes of grounding every evening in the back garden said it's changed his life yeah beautiful so like bare feet on the earth yeah yeah which is a beautiful way to like um i think there's negative ions that are related to the earth there's this very good uh documentary i think it's called grounding or maybe earthing on youtube very worth a watch for all the science behind why that is so good for us um but for me at the time, similar to that, but also being able to access it, even if I was indoors, was to visualize in meditation really big roots growing down from my feet all the way down to the earth. A lot of the time, like energetically, we're energetic beings in our body, like just like everything else in the universe. We're a collection of atoms and quarks and molecules and water all vibrating at all these different frequencies. And so the, like our thoughts and the words we use in our life resonate at certain levels in our body as well. So I would find when I was very caught up in my head in these like thought loops, negative thought patterns, a very heady, like it would almost be like I'm on my tiptoes, like and kind of short of breath and talking very quickly. And so working to like imagine my energy flowing all the way down in my body um, and down through the earth was a very core piece of me coming back to the earth. Um, and from that, it's very much led me on a, a path of inquiry into traditional earth-based spirituality, which is indigenous teachings for the most part. Um, and of course, there's been a lot of work done recently on like decoloniality and how can we really um, 
listen to the voices of indigenous people you know who are the stewards for like i think 80 percent of the world's wildlife um and for them like uh, the 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 research inquiry we used for tales of the land was ceremony and that's an indigenous practice of like using ceremony as research like it doesn't have to be a scientific paper and that's not dismissing a scientific paper but it's also honoring how sitting every day in meditation or doing a ceremony with a group of friends with a shared um heartfelt connection to the water and to to want to work with the water to help send the vibration of peace across the planet that's also a method of research and action like in a a kind of a sealed container. Um, so that's very much what I'm learning about in um, the ministry training. How do we hold good ritual space and containers? Because it's in those spaces where we can often feel safe enough to, like you said, tap in with the feelings that we're feeling, especially when it comes to things like grief, anger, shame, guilt, these things that are like very challenging to work with on our own. Like we need to like be able to co-regulate with other bodies, with other people to actually be with those emotions. Um, so that piece of ceremony is a really core part of my my spiritual path. And um, so it's very much rooted in like my ecological training and the earth as a living system and how can we relate to the more than human world. And Sophie Strand is a writer who I love and she says, you know, it's about decentering human narratives. We don't need to think that we have to have the solution to climate change. A lot of what we need to do right now is like come back to ourselves, come back to the earth and actually stop thinking that we're like these little emperors of the universe who can do everything and fix everything in a certain way. It's not about micromanaging. It's about like leaning back a little bit and engaging with the human world. So with that, with drumming and things, um, I'd often do inquiries with maybe specific animals or plants. Um, like I work a lot with rose or the spider. Um, like how do we feel about the spider? You know, that the initial kind of feeling a lot of people get of the kind of, like shake it off. Like, Ugh. I never got that. I love spiders. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because I didn't have that as a kid. It was like I learned that in school with lots of people being like oh spiders you know and um, but even working with that feeling of like the resistance we have to that animal or rats or pigeons or these like invasive species that a lot of people don't like um and working with those and the kind of the medicine they hold i'm not sure if i'm explaining that very well but that's a very big part of my the spiritual path i have as well yeah yeah fantastic and you just mentioned there kind of the importance of engaging with others around kind of climate activism and dealing mm. with feelings of eco-grief and climate anxiety. And we all know the importance of community links in environmentalism. Yeah. Um, could you talk about the importance of community to your work and maybe talk about the importance of community to climate activism for anyone who might be unfamiliar? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's so key. Like it's um, something I'm very passionate about is like community resilience how can we become resilient as communities not just of humans but again of of like humans and our place and all the animals and beings and life forms that exist there like how can we become resilient as places so like I live in Cove and that's very much where I focus a lot of my work and um, I very much see that one of the biggest crises that we have right now in the world is a crisis of trust 
we don't trust each other anymore. We don't trust the institutions that we engage with on a daily basis. We don't trust our neighbours. We don't know how to build trust a lot of the time because it's not really something that we come back to as a grounding in school. You know, we, we get our maths and Irish and English, but we don't actually really talk about like interpersonal skills and things like nonviolent communication and healthy conflict. Like conflict's not a bad thing. But a lot of us are very unskilled at having conflict. Um, and this has totally come from my own experience of being very unskilled at conflicts. And how do I become better at that so that I can actually have like a resilient, robust friendship and relationship with someone who I love without those kind of spikes coming in. And especially when we live in a world where there's so much intense emotional anguish going on for us living in this climate catastrophe world and the biodiversity crisis. So the grief the anxiety, the shame, the self-judgment, the judgment of other people, um, the fear, like all of this stuff creates so many triggers inside of us, you know. And basically we're all living in a highly traumatised response to what's happening to the world. It's so unnatural and it's so not, it, it doesn't fit how we actually are as beings that there's just a lot of trauma there. So we really need to learn how to rebuild trust. Mm. So something I do actually with most of my friends, which you know people kind of maybe think I'm a bit funny for it but it's like contract like what do I expect of you and what do you expect of me and how do we go about doing that together and if something comes up where we cause harm how can we make it how can we repair that how can we make peace again or how can we overcome that and I find the more I engage with that kind of practice the other side of everything like that for the most part is a deeper level of intimacy mm. because we've gone through this kind of turbulent time and then we end up knowing each other more and having a deeper insight into each other's worlds which is very beautiful so that's one thing to say for say one-on-one -on -one exchanges and with friends but then when you bring that into a wider lens of community especially in a secular culture where we don't anymore have like a shared moral code like there's a lot of assumptions made that we do but I think for the most part again our total lack of trust in the church which has totally gone from under us the government which again has kind of largely gone for many of us we don't have that shared moral code and like when I was studying about Islam you know they have like the Sharia law where the state and the religion have the same kind of code of ethics. And you kind of know if your neighbours are Muslim that they have a similar shared outlook. Whereas because so many of us have become very secular and reclaimed our sense of self, which I think has been a very key and important part um, of, our, of our learning and growth, we need to kind of rebuild again. Like, well, what is our shared moral code? And you see this very much in like eco villages. So um, <clears throat> the place I'm training as a minister is the One Spirit Foundation in the UK. And they're very connected with Findhorn, which they're based in Scotland and they were like one of the first um, spiritually based eco communities in, I think, in the in the whole of the UK back in like the 80s. And there's been lots of really wonderful writers and kind of thought leaders that have kind of come up through that space. And I'm still only kind of developing my friendship with it. And like I, I still haven't been there, but um, they if you go onto their website, you'll see they have like a, a ground of being, how they agree to be and everybody who's in that place commits to that and a lot of it is about you know principles of a personality and having a a daily practice in that place it's spiritual but even just whether it's like meditation or mindfulness or some way of being able to come back to yourself and um, I think that's very important like I've looked at I feel very much like I would like to live in um, a communal space and a lot of the things that seem to go wrong in eco villages is that money gets in the way and that the, the scarcity then that can cause a lot of um 
unrest and discomfort or conflict. Um, so having that shared set of values um, is seems to be very important for community. So yeah, I think it's like get back to basics. How do we actually build trust? And for me, that very much comes back to contracting and communication skills. Mm. And in relation to community work, you have been working with us for a good while now on climate anxiety through your workshops, mm. the self-care is climate care workshops that we've been running monthly for this year. Um, could you tell us about those workshops and your experiences with the people who have come through those workshops with you? Yeah. Yeah, it just brings a big smile to my face when I talk about it. It's really lovely work. I feel very privileged to be able to come and do it. And um, it's a very like slow space. It's very much like a space to kind of turn off from the busyness of assignments and work and lots of stuff busying around and coming back to yourself. So it's self-care is climate care and it's very much that piece about coming back to ourselves and holding ourselves in gentle, like loving witnessing so that we can kind of go deeper into those emotional blocks that a lot of the time when we're kind of going at a fast pace and we're trying to keep up with, again, assignments and relationships and doing this for this person. And, you know, we have to create time to actually dip in. It's like I had a counsellor once say to me, it's like it's like turning on a tap. You get to choose. And ultimately, if we don't turn off, turn the tap on and off and take control of it ourselves, it's probably going to end up being like a volcano or like a total suppression into just total numbness. So it's a space to come and like open the tap a little bit and inquire a little bit deeper into your inner world. So again, I would use things like the drum, sound, song to open up a sense of ritual and ceremony again. So it's more of a ceremony than a workshop, and um, which again feels... Some in some ways kind of almost juxtaposed to doing it in a university, which I love because it's, yeah. You're getting a shared experience in the ceremony, you see. Yeah. And it puts people at ease more quickly and gets them to open up more quickly. Mm, well said. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, If I have a band practice, it's a shared experience. And what we found is the louder the music, the heavier the vibration, and the more of the feeling that you get from it. Mm, I can like feel it as you're saying it. It's very <laughs> powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's exactly what you experience when you go to a concert, isn't yeah. it? Like that's what you're, it's that euphoria and the, the shared bubble of energy that everybody's in. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Uh, just following on from that, how can art therapy, journaling and creativity be used to manage eco-grief? Mm. Well, I actually might come back even just to the sound there. Um, one of my sound healing teachers uh, talks about how he used to be able to like identify someone they were, had their headphones on or like walking through campus or whatever, like be able to identify who they are or what music they're listening to just by how they're walking and like how it's moving, you know, <laughs> it like creates this frequency. And that's what sound does too. Um, and art, like anything that's yeah. really expressing ourselves, we're touching into that bubble. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and so I guess with art and music and like especially free music like just being able to make whatever sound is coming out of your mouth or just drum in whatever way with no script like I'm totally not a musician I do like sound healing not I, I following a script I, I was very much struggle with but that kind of free expression um, can help us again find out where we're at like especially if you're kind of drawing or using colour without really thinking about it too much and you're just kind of going hmm 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 what colours you're drawn to, what kind of marks you make, like are you, are you working really hard on the paper, is it a really big movement, is it like a really small, delicate thing, um, 
it can really reveal a lot of what's in our subconscious in our psyche without needing words and I think so much of us in the western world especially rely so much on words and engage so much through language that it can be very helpful to come back to uh, just a simpler way of non-verbal way of expressing our emotions and what that can bring up for us um, and movement would be very much the same as well like somatic dancing and releasing which um, yeah I also work with and um, and then journaling again it's kind of like it's like that tap uh, analogy again is like open the tap to see what's there and actually put it down on paper and it's like venting to someone or talking to someone or whatever. And a lot of the time there's narratives and stories that are going on and on and on in our heads that we actually don't really realize are there until we write it down and go, oh. And it kind of, it helps to unravel it again. And especially with like subconscious thoughts, like it helps us to become more aware of, like, you know, the way with uh, neuroplasticity, they say neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you're having this continuous thought that's going round and round in your head, when you start writing it, I, it's almost, I feel like it's like a spool of thread. It's like you're unraveling it from your mind. And then you get to consciously choose what you put back in there. Like, is that a narrative that's serving you? Is it helpful or does it make your anxiety worse? And what could you be saying to yourself inside your head instead that might make you feel better? And I think journaling gives us the kind of externalized space to see that. Like the artist's way they do that, where you wake up in the morning and like journal, like three pages, just get all of the squiggles out of your head and then start your day and then start your creative practice so yeah I think that's the power in journaling that's really fascinating how you can actually identify what the negative emotion is and then actually try and do something about it Mm -hmm. yes really cool I think you're the one who introduced me to kind of art therapy and journaling and using creativity um, kind of in response to those climate feelings Mm -hmm. Um, Oliver have you ever been to the self-care workshops I haven't been to the self-care workshop Mm. I am going to it now, <laughs> 100%. If you're telling me we get to make sounds and movement, I am 100% in, 100%. Yep. But I've been a few times and it's just, it's such like an open space. It's very interesting because, um, I don't know, you've just a very, you've a great skill of just being able to listen, actively listen to people and get people to kind of open up in like the best way. Mm-hmm. And I know I've talked to, a couple of different people who have been to the workshops and afterwards they would say that they just felt really like kind of just so good and kind of liberated after having that that shared space and that shared Mm. the shared feelings yeah thank you I'm wondering as you say active listening I wonder what does active listening mean to you I don't know I guess you know the way sometimes you're talking to someone and you just kind of feel like they're thinking about something else or they're thinking about what they're going to say next you can see it in their face yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely but when I suppose when I'm talking to you Honestly, just in general as well, rather than just the workshops, but just I feel like you're 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 there every step mm. and you're really taking in everything, feeding off the energy and feeding off the feelings and kind of giving all that back to like you're there 100 percent, which I feel like sometimes you can lose in, in terms of oh, we're yeah. so busy all of the time and you're thinking of all the things you have to do. For the, for the person that's been listened to, if they know that the other person isn't thinking about anything else, they're 100 percent focused on them. It gives them a feeling, I, I can't describe the feeling, but it's, I'm actually being heard for once. Yeah, It's profound healing. Like yeah. we, this counselling skills we base ourselves off is very much Rogerian, so Carl Rogers. And it's very much about um, unconditional positive regard. And like you said, really being present. But it's interesting and something I notice in clients is, and myself, like I'm only able to do that because I've spent so much time 
unraveling and really sitting with like all of my emotions. And of course we can all do it when we set our mind to it. But I actually remember the moment. I was like 21 and I actually realized what active listening was. And I was like, oh my God. You're not like just listening to respond. Like you're yeah. just listening just to hear. Just and to hear. and trusting the flow of the whole moment that like you don't need to be thinking of your response. Like the conversation will flow and what needs to be said will be said and it doesn't need to be like pre-taught about and analysed and everything like that. Um, but it really allows such a profound unravelling for someone. But again, if we're in our own bodies, if we have lots of trauma and unresolved emotion and actually being in our body feels really unsettling and there's grief and anxiety and there's stress and it makes us kind of go, you know, hyperventilate, we can't actually be present in our bodies then to be present with somebody else because mm. we can't even be present with ourselves. So it has to be self first and listening to ourselves first. And then you can offer that skill to other people or that space to other people. But if we're not offering that to ourselves, it's very hard to do for other people. And then we end up in this kind of loop of just kind of going around. And obviously it's it's, ne it's never that black and white. Like everyone's, it's like a continuum and we all ebb and flow and it depends what's going on in our lives. But um, yeah. I think that piece around active listening and how we can actually do that is very important. To help others, you have to help yourself first. Exactly. Yes. That, that goes on to my next question for anybody that is tuning into this podcast. What tips do you have for people managing or addressing feelings of eco-grief? Mm. Um, yeah, well, I would definitely say come to a shared space. And that doesn't need to be mine, but if you want to come to mine, that would be class. But um Working through the stuff with other people really takes the toll off. Like it can get very intense. And I think something that's really important to say as well when it comes to this realm of like climate anxiety and eco-grief is that it very much ties into uh, Carl's Jung, I, Carl Jung's idea of the shadow. So because there's so many people that are just going about business as usual and not engaging with feelings of climate anxiety and eco-grief and actually engaging with the climate crisis as a reality, it means that all of their unprocessed feelings are still in the collective, like in the collective vibration of people and our feelings in response to climate change. And when people refuse to take responsibility and engage with that themselves, it leaves that emotional and vibrational mass to be felt by the koala in the bushfire in Australia or indigenous peoples on the front line of climate crisis or the highly sensitive climate activist who lives in Ireland who feels surrounded by a bunch of people who aren't listening. So it's not just our own stuff that we're sitting with. It's very much collective. So that would be a, a, a tool I would use a lot as well in the in the sessions in like deep meditation. We can kind of go into the subconscious. It's like almost kind of like the dream world and it's where we're not just individuals, we're all connected in, in, in a subconscious way just by living you know we're not and it's again it's not just with people it's with animals as well which is how I would use the kind of connection with um animals in my spiritual practice it's this place of where we're all connected um and in that space we can end up processing more than our fair share it's like when I was experiencing levels of eco grief and anxiety around like zero waste and the food I was eating and going for a food shop it was such a highly charged emotion in my body it was so beyond just what had built up in my own life like it was very much related to wider society and I think especially when we have access to so much information so much awareness of the shared problem not just our own and when there's so much pressure put onto us that it is just our own and we have to take action and we have to change it that it, it's we're dealing with a whole other level so we're not designed as humans like we're designed to live in connection and we're not meant to deal with that stuff on our own so 
find people that you can process that with, whether it's a counsellor or a therapist or a practitioner of some kind of modality that resonates with you or friends who are also in it as well. Whatever it is, find a shared way and then it can be really helpful to bring in sound, have a band, play music, sing, like scream, go to the forest and scream like a wild person um, because you are a wild person and touch in with that or go sea swimming like whatever it is but something that moves the energy that you're not just sitting in a classroom or just sitting in your bedroom like scrolling on a screen like our bodies need to move and to process emotion or energy in motion we need to move um so whether that's writing or drawing or singing it's always creative stuff really so like find people to do it with is makes it even more powerful and create a, a space where you can do it which very much comes into the kind of ritual and ceremony as, as well like if you're it's helpful to be intentional with it. Be like, hey, we're going to meet up and go for a walk along the beach and talk about how we feel about climate change. Like set an intention together and then maybe you're all running along the beach or something and then you have an end point. Like it's helpful to have these things contained or else they can kind of just spill over and it can be very hard to kind of get back to just functioning in the world. Yeah. Just in relation to the climate crisis and how things are these days, do you feel hopeful for the future? Mm. so Jem Bendel is a writer that talks a lot about like deep ecology and has I think maybe he was one of the first people to really name that we are in runaway climate change like, it's not not happening it is here and it is happening and the way I see it is that we're going to learn how to be with that and a lot of that especially in Ireland I think for us one sense is going to be engaging with like how the climate actually affects our daily lives especially for farmers and food growers and people who really work with the land and a very big part of that, which you all know, is like, how are we going to accommodate for the refugees that are coming here? Because their places, as more places are being desertified, people are going to need more homes. So obviously we can also work to prevent that desertification by planting trees and mitigating where we can. But like it is happening. So I very much look at that and don't shy away from it because I don't want to live in denial. Like I want to see what that feels very true for me. Um, but I still have profound hope because I see the amount of people that take action um, and really are really motivated by love. Like uh, something I think that's really important is that rather than just having something we're moving away from as a motivator, like I don't want climate catastrophe, we need to have something we're moving towards, which is I want a sustainable, generative, beautiful way of living in community with all beings on earth. And just from my friends, people I know, people I meet here in UCC, activists around the world, there's so many people moving towards that, that it gives me so much hope. And I know very much of that and that philosophy in myself is rooted in my Buddhist practice, which is very much also connected to Joanna Macy's work about active hope and about how hope isn't just some like idea we have when we're like daydreaming at the clouds and like, oh, that would be nice, but it's actually taking action. So something I do in my workshops is engage with people around their visions and ideas and their feelings of that beautiful future, like be in your mind's eye, feel it, smell it, imagine it, sense it, build up the vibration, the energy of it. And that helps us then move toward that more and more. Whereas if what we're always thinking about in our head is very much fear-based and going, you know, hellfires and floods and very fear-based, that can kind of really draw us back. So I really focus on helping people come into that place of the kind of positive dream and then take what are the positive actions and doable actions we can do towards that. Um, and I've just, I mean, even just in the last 
like five years the amount of shifts there have been in policy and movements around the world like I know it's slow and it's not ideal and there's loads of areas that are not perfect and are not the way in an ideal world we would want them to be but there is movement and more than just from always people's goodwill it's just becoming so clear how much we need to shift and I am seeing that so I really do feel hopeful um yeah yeah and our final question for the podcast, we ask everybody who comes on, do you have a favourite place on campus? Yes. Um, I love the, I feel like everybody would probably say this space, but down where the Glucksman, um, down where the river, I just think it's so beautiful. And then as you go through that walk and walk across the river to that other green space as well, I just think it's so beautiful. It's like this lovely little pocket of wildness. In is, the, yeah, with the wildflower meadow and everything in yeah, the summer. Yeah, yeah Fantastic. it's very beautiful. So I think that's got to be it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so that's a good, great place to wrap up. Thanks a million for coming to talk to us, Melanie. It was, it was great to have you here. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for indulging me. <laughs> oh, brilliant. brilliant. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. Fantastic. And as per usual, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at UCC Green Campus. And if you'd like to get involved with sustainable initiatives or to learn more, you can email us at greencampus at ucc.ie. So thanks for listening. Until next time.